Stuff Podcasts. A warning, this podcast contains references to subjects and discussions that could be hard for some people to hear. Some episodes may also contain explicit language, so please take care. I have been around men who harm women before, and I have that feeling, I very strongly have that feeling, and I just, I can see you're dismissing me and I don't like it, but if nobody's going to listen to me, I'm, I'm just going to keep saying this, I guess. Welcome to Tell Me About It, the podcast where we're undoing our socialization to agree with everything, one excruciating conversation at a time. I'm Noelle McCarthy. I'm Michelle Duff. And I'm Kirsty Johnston. And this week, we're talking about how to recognize when a man has crossed a line. So those situations where you feel kind of weird and uncomfortable, but you're not really sure why, and afterwards you don't know whether it was just you or not. Yeah, like the kind of things you try to tell friends about and end up wondering if, like, you're just being dramatic. Yeah, and if you're male, if you told a male friend, they might be like, oh, but was he just being friendly or is he just kind of awkward? Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that I imagine so many of us can relate to. We've had those experiences. And the story that we're talking about today, Michelle, is a story that you did a few years ago that actually ended up with a pretty serious outcome. Like it ended up with someone being jailed for rape. And later on, we're going to meet one of the women who went on the record for your story, which meant that Stuff could publish his name. It's so incredible when people go on the record in that way because it's like it's so easy for people who've either been victims of kind of like borderline sexual assault or witnessed it to kind of second guess themselves and not come forward or not be willing to back themselves and say actually no like what I saw was wrong. Yeah I mean that's the only way that Me Too stories were written at all really because women were and some men were kind of ready to come forward and speak and put their names to what they'd seen or experienced. As two journalists, right, who have heaps of experience in this area, because I know... It's true, we are journalists. (laughs) This is a fact, Um, not fake news. But what is... Are there certain things that make Me Too stories, like, especially hard to report? Oh, yeah, there's heaps of stuff. Like, um, one major thing is usually the lack of documents or, like, lack of other hard evidence in terms of, like, videos, photos, and, yeah, people going on the record. And that makes, like, going on the record makes sense why people have to sort of think twice about doing that. It's really risky because for a woman, in a way, it's you're almost risking your reputation as fucked up as that is. You know, people might not believe you or they might judge you for what you did or didn't do. And before Me Too came along, we're thinking 2018 now, these kinds of stories weren't even really news. I mean, in the story we're going to be talking about today, I remember that me and my colleague Amanda Saxon, who reported the story with me, we had all this evidence that we were going through and with an editor, and I remember him saying, but where's the ass grab? What? Oh, my God, Michelle. So, like, they're looking, aren't they? Like, 
for that gotcha moment, for that moment where you can go, okay, this is it. And we build it from here. But those moments don't necessarily exist in these stories in the traditional way. No, no, well, they don't. Like, even when the story is published, um, other people simply might not see the behavior as problematic. Like, I'm thinking about that viral story from the New Yorker cat person. Do you remember that? Oh my God, I totally remember Cat Person. I bought her book. It was by a woman called Kirsten Rupinian and it went mad viral, didn't it? Like she's a great writer, but I know after the story was published later, quite a bit later, she got a bit of grief for for having written about a real person in Cat Person. It was based on a, on a real man, apparently a man who died. But anyway, remind us, Kirsty, what was it? What was it actually about? <laughs> small tangent but yeah yeah so it was kind of it was a story about <laughs> a story about a I get wound up about this stuff I think this is very interesting you know but anyway I know yeah. I actually want to borrow that book off you so make a note please <laughs> um but yeah cat person was a story where this girl had like an older boyfriend who was kind of sexually creepy and where the relationship definitely had some power issues but not in not an overt in an overt way that you consider criminal Kind of similar, you know, similar to that story about that comedian um, Aziz Ansari, who, like, depending on your perspective, like, just badly fingered a woman or, like, press- or on the other hand, like, pressured her into sex, like. Two things. You know, I'm. I'm. I just want to point out that I'm really proud. We've said the word "fingered" in not one but two Me episodes too. now. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag. Um, <laughs> I paused and then I was like, "Oh, yeah, it's just going to have to come out." That's just going to be there. Yeah. Congratulations, Kirsty, for the first fingered of the episode. But also, right on that um, Aziz Ansari story, I actually thought that was really badly reported because, like. It had gaps. It was one. It was one story. You know, it wasn't. I didn't feel like it was sort of cleanly or fairly handled. And I guess you know, there's a downside when these things are badly handled because you you do get pushback. But on another, you know, on the other side, I totally related. Like I totally related to the sort of sexual experience that was um, that was described. Like that's a that's a night I've had. That's a date I've been on. Yeah, I, and I also think. Yes, the reporting was not perfect, and I don't think the website that it was on is even exists anymore. But also, like, why was there such a big to-do about the reporting and not so much about, you know, it, it almost seemed like a deflection from what the article was about, which was, as Kirsty says, like a, a massive power imbalance between two people, one who's famous, one who's just a woman trying to go about her night, and, yeah, I mean, we've all been, you, I was going to say we've all been trapped in apartments with men, but actually I think <laughs> a few of us probably have. And, you know, you can look at that story and think, oh, it's not that bad, you know, why don't you just leave or whatever. But actually, when there's a situation where one person leaves thinking that their behaviour was absolutely fine and another person feels like they were assaulted, then that is a major issue. And mm. I think that's kind of the dynamics that are at play here. Yeah, it's like that. It's that weird socialization again, or that that setup, where in you know hetero relationships, men are seen as like the convincer, and women are supposed to be well, I guess like convinced, right? They're supposed to be saying no, 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 but they mean yes, and the man's role in mm. this is just to like win them over, kind of like some like game of cat and mouse almost. Yeah, like you're supposed to hold out until you know, until some magic moment, but the holding out's really imp- a really important part of it. Jeez. 
There was an unequal power dynamic like that, though, Michelle, in the story that we're talking about today, wasn't there? That story that you reported on. Can you explain a bit about what that was? Yeah, so... Craig Koning was the boss of a charity ship in the Pacific called the Floating Foundation. He populated his boats with young women who he would bully and target for sex. And a lot of this, I think, was possible because of that dynamic we've discussed where he's the man in charge, they work for him, and so how much of it is just, you know, normal behaviour? Well, it turns out in this case it wasn't. So some of the women who were on board that ship in 2017 came forward uh, a year later and talking about some of his behaviour and we needed to put a story together that would name him. So our guest today is a woman called Simone Kaho and we're going to talk to her about what she observed. She was on the boat in 2016. So, yeah, she noticed that some of what was happening, which maybe on its own wasn't illegal, but for her was a pattern and for her was really disturbing. And Michelle's actually got COVID brain fog and I also think she might be struggling to breathe. You so, did so um, well, Michelle. That was amazing. That was great. Wasn't I'm it? Just gonna like, I'm just going to take a sip of water. Just <laughs> don't mind me. Just mute myself for a moment. Anyway, what were you going to help her out by saying, Kirsty? You were going to finish this. I'm just going to add that um, Simone and the others that went on the record, actually led to another woman coming forward, like an ex-girlfriend of this guy, Craig, and she reported her rape to the police and it went to court and Craig was actually jailed for five years. So it had a a massive impact. Mm. So I guess that's what we're looking at, isn't it? That continuum from behaviour that makes you feel a bit weird, but, you know, you're sometimes not sure where to put it. You know, if you said it to someone, they might say, oh, are you sure you're not being dramatic, blah, blah, blah all the way to sort of red flags and and behaviour that actually is predatory and abusive. And that's what we're going to talk to Simone about. And just a heads up, in this interview, you'll hear a bleep over someone's details when Simone is talking. We've done this to protect that person's privacy. So Simone is a poet and a writer and a broadcaster as well. And she's here now to talk about that experience she had um, working with Michelle on the story. Welcome, Simon. Hi, Noelle. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. We're all here. Kia ora. One of the things that really impressed me when we talked was how, which was, you know, after the voyage, was how certain you were that you didn't second guess the red flags that you'd seen when you were on the boat and you really backed yourself And I remember you saying, and I have the quote here from our first interview, so I'll read it out if you don't mind. You said, the way he plays with women's minds and emotions and plays with them sexually and the way it's tied up with the working environment is really twisted. There's no question it's crossed the line and he has no sense that it's wrong to hurt women. So what do you think made you sort of so confident at, you know, when other women weren't, some of the younger women? maybe being 38 (laughs) helped a little bit with that. Um, I haven't been so awesome in my own relationships picking up when a guy is behaving badly, but I have had, you know, relationships that were hurtful. Um, And in retrospect, I'd see things um, and think, you know, that really, 
it's a sort of a vibe. It's a vibe of um, like women should please me. It felt to me like something really dark was going on and I was just looking for solid enough examples to justify the strengths of the feeling that I had um, because Craig was really excellent at being a confusing guy. <laughs> like I remember uh, there were a couple of times he stood up for me against there was a, a friend that I went on the boat with who, who let me down and she would kind of pick my brains a bit for work she was doing and then she'd present it on as if it was her own and he um, picked her up for it and said you know I saw you talking to Simone and it seems like you know a lot of those ideas came from her and you know that that's actually was a really good guy thing to do in my book and I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm a person that comes across as really needing to be defended some people just read me as she's going to speak her mind which is not always true you know I, I easily can just feel like I'm being polite or not quite sure how to to say things in a way that won't have, like hurt a friendship and he saw that and he spoke up for me and then I looked at other behaviors of his and towards other people not usually towards me I feel like he never really picked on me I feel like he had singled me out as somebody not, you know, you know, not to mess with. Someone you said when Michelle read that quote out from you, he said, you said he plays with women like sexually. Was that part of the bullying? Like he'd undermine them and then target them. Could you describe that dynamic for us? Um, I don't know that the sexual undermining was to me that was already in play in his relationship with and I just witnessed that he would have that undermining relationship with her and then say for instance and I, I like I even find this a little bit uncomfortable to talk about but they'd have really loud sex in the morning and it's a shit you know and it would be like kind of like banging the you know like Oh my god because you're all so oh, like, close together right like everybody's at close quarters yeah and it was almost felt like it was making a point type thing I it, you know what I mean it just didn't feel because on that first expedition it was all all women and um so he'd have that thing where he'd yell at her and she'd kind of soak up his um oh, yeah. she'd soak up his malaise and part of the reason she didn't want to leave she was like I feel like I'm protecting you from him and the sex is part of that and I was like, please don't, you know, please, please, please just look after yourself and go home. I'm begging you. How many of you were on the boat together? So um, in that first expedition, there was five of us, um, Craig and four women. How long did it last for? How long did the ex... ex why can none of us say expedition? expedition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <to> the expedition. <laughs> how long did the ship sailing last for? Two weeks, but yeah, they were there for a little bit longer, like cleaning the ship up. Um, so they were probably there for three weeks, but my friend and I joined them as the expeditions uh, set up and departed, which was two weeks. And then there were three expeditions of two weeks. I remember just saying to people around maybe after the first week, just saying, look, I just feel like something's really wrong. And at, around this time, it was, um, you know, we're all, we're all strong women and we all know he's being inappropriate in his bullying behavior. 
and it's just because of stress. Like we, we brought it up. We were like, it's not okay to talk to people like this. And, you know, you need to stop And if, if you want people to stay on your boat. And, you know, then it goes into this whole drama of his, why he's like that and blah, blah, stress and blah, blah, cares so much about the expedition, which was all a bit of a, a red herring. But I, I just remember saying I think it's more – it's more than that, that dynamic of bullying. I think something's really off and people just not knowing kind of what I felt like they, they just said, Oh, you know, you're kind of, you're just depressed, (laughs) which is funny because I am. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, (laughs) but you're still right. Right. As it turns out. Yeah. But I also think I'm right because I have been around men who harm women before. And I have that feeling. I very strongly have that feeling. And I just, I said, I can see you're dismissing me and I don't like it, but I, you know, I don't know what else to do. If nobody's going to listen to me, I'm, I'm just going to keep saying this, I guess. So then how did you feel later, like after the story came out and then, you know, um, his ex-girlfriend came forward and accused him of of rape? I mean, did you ever feel like coming forward would lead to something like that? Yeah, it, it was um, actually it, it was one of those things where I don't have a sense of I told you so in a good way at all. I have a sense of I told you so in a really sad, creepy way. Because it felt so evident to me that it was something deeper and something I kept on wanting to feel it to feel for myself, like as a person, if he was a had some kind of a decent core or something, you know, and that the behavior was just bad behavior. And I kept feeling like I don't I'm not sure about that. I'm I'm really, really suspicious about how deep this goes. So what has that um meant for you Simone like having been through this experience what does it sort of lead to in in your own life any sort of reflections yeah I've personally had a really hard time like that ship voyage was the start of I guess an awakening of sorts like just seeing so closely um and in your face a man just treating women as if it didn't matter that they were harmed and feeling deeply disturbed but also also like it's really hard not it's really hard to try and fight back against this sort of behavior that's not it's not um open it's not overt it's incredibly cunning and manipulative the whole setup of that situation was was just a it was like a setup you know what I mean? I mean, even that first voyage with five women on there, we were chatting in one of the times that uh, Craig wasn't on the ship. And, you know, one of the women said, oh, he, yeah, you know, he, he did try to, he did try to get me in bed. And then another one said, yeah, me too. Another one said, yeah, me too. And I was the only one that didn't feel, I didn't feel that. But then looking back, there was actually a time where he had come around to my house and I was like, oh yeah, you can see where I live, come on down. And so he, he kind of came down and then he, there was a funny moment where he was like, your bed looks really nice. And he just got in my bed. Oh, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, um, awkward. 
I love how it takes hindsight for us to yeah. be like, oh, yeah, Actually, no, that was problematic. The yeah. guy in my bed, yeah. He was just in my bed and I went and did the dishes and I was like. <laughs> oh, it's um, so great. <laughs> That's how you should so, deal with any strong emotion. Go and do the dishes. <laughs> I was just like, I, um, <laughs> you know, I have no real response to I don't know, whatever, you might be really tired. I like to sleep as well. Um, <laughs> whatever, I don't know. I did feel a little bit that he was, there was something attractive about him and something also equally unattractive to me. Do you know what I mean? Mm, mm. I, I, there, was, there were times when he'd be spitting his spills and he would be very blue-eyed and it would, look, it would just feel like, you know, like that heightened thing. It would feel like epic in a moment and that he's seeing you. I, I think it's really honest how you say, you know, that mixture of attraction and repulsion you know, because mm. I think that's something I can I can really relate to. And it's a real difficult thing, I think. You know, it's hard to... Because you met him as well, you mean? No, just in general, like with people in my life. I think I've had oh, yeah. situations like that in the past. You've met I mean, a version of him, Yeah, maybe. I mm. think. Have you guys? I, I feel like I have. I've met someone who's, you know, a few men especially who push your boundaries, you know, like mm. who just want to test all the time. And sometimes that's... You know, there's there's nothing else to do but go and do the dishes because, you know, how are you going to respond? Sometimes, you know, we're not prepared for that. Looking back, I think the dishes was a really good move <laughs> because um, I just didn't give him a chance to manipulate me. I just wasn't there. Exactly. Yeah, you weren't there. Looking back, I could feel like the this kind of like it's almost like a sleepiness descended on the room. You know, I just remember his body language was like heavy and like, you know, when he moved towards the bed and then he was like, oh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, could be quite tiring, you know, being awake quite now. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But I don't know. I'm just going to do the dishes. And that, you know, that was good because I just was out of that area and then he got the message after however long I can't remember how long and just kind of got himself up and left hmm. and this was the middle of the day yeah how do you feel about everything now like we're coming to the end so I just want to know sort of did did being involved in the story bring you along with it you know like did that help it turn into something else in your experience working with Michelle Simon? Yeah, it really did I was so grateful not to be alone and I was so grateful that he was stopped and I was so grateful this woman um, who came forward from the past had her day of justice and the resolution that she got, you know, she had been through a real uh, violation and injustice and carried that in herself. And now it's been, you know, the the accountability of for that has been put where it, where it belongs. And to think that that wouldn't have happened without uh, this story being picked up. Yeah, it it's scary to me. Uh, it doesn't bring me personally relief, um, as it were, because I feel like that feeling I got with the captain, that, that murky feeling, I, I get it around other men sometimes, and I got it in one particular work situation. And uh, I really strongly got this feeling and I tried to warn people who told other people who, you know, the contract ended quite briefly. And even my therapist thought I was just being hypervigilant. But then 
four months later, uh, the, the young woman I tried to warn got in touch with me and there'd been a sexual assault from this man and she was going through the complaint system at her work. I feel like there's, there are so many predators like this who are really, really good at getting away with it um, and won't, just won't stop until they are stopped. It's really depressing because you see what the person you're fighting against, the wiggles that they do and the contortions and the fact that they have so much resilience. It's, it's really horrible. And I want to thank you, Michelle in particular, but you, Kirsty, as well, and Noelle for the work that you do because uh, it's so important that it becomes like second nature, that if something, if, if something in your system says, hold on, it's so important to treasure that and to talk to other women about that um, because there's such a strong chance that you're right and you're dealing with somebody who's a, like a professional predator. Well said. Brava. Kia ora. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you, Simone, because if it hadn't been for you, then that story would may not have even made it over the line and actually you and everyone else who talked to me are the ones that need to be thanked for that. Thanks, Michelle. Kia ora. Kia ora, Simon. Thanks so much. Simon Caho. Oh my God, I feel that. I, I'm feeling that everywhere. Um, what was that like for you, Michelle, listening back, you know, having collaborated and, and having Simon having been a source for your story? What do you think now? I mean, you just heard her. She's really just so sure of herself what she witnessed she's incredibly um you know sense sensitive and thoughtful and and for me having her as a witness to all of his uh, behaviors from that 2016 voyage was invaluable actually she's you know and it it was really allowed me to put some of the pieces together in a way that I wouldn't have without her what did, you, what did you two think? Oh, do you know what? I reckon it just shows the value, like, despite all the narratives we hear about, like, women being pitted against each other and it being a, a fight, you know, that there is so much solidarity there and, like, people will come forward for you and it is important and it does benefit everyone. I just, yeah, it made me 100%. feel really, although it was, like, awful yes. to hear what happened, you know? Yeah, I agree with you totally, Kirsty. I mean, it's that scarcity narrative, isn't it? That only one of us can be happy, can be okay, can have the job, can have the life, whatever it is. Like, I think it benefits all of us when some, when a woman like Simone is brave enough to say, yeah, use my name, you know, and then it starts from there. And it also shows how important the stories are, doesn't it? Because if you hadn't written that story, Michelle, like he'd still be out there, right? He'd still be doing whatever he was doing on boats or on land or wherever. And I also think we need to mention as well his uh, ex-girlfriend who did come forward and report the rape, Amy Coronax, who at the after the trial applied to get her, her name suppression lifted uh, so that she could talk to us and tell her story. And, you know, she was really clear that she had nothing to be ashamed of and she wanted to speak out you know, and be named in public because, you know, she, she he was the one that should be ashamed. And it's people like Simone and it's people like Amy and, you know, that they're the ones that are going to change things, you know, that are going to push things forward so that it becomes normal and it becomes something that we can all, 
you know, talk about and talk, you know, through, I think. And I also want to give a huge shout out on behalf of all of us to our amazing Me Too editor at Stuff, Ali Moore, who has basically spearheaded this movement in New Zealand and been a lightning rod for people to come and share their stories. So thank you so much, Ali, for everything that you do. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, That's us. That's us for the week. Uh, That was a long one. It was worthwhile being a long one. We will be back next week with another episode. Kakite. And hopefully Michelle will be over her COVID. So everybody pray for her. (laughs) I'm going to go have a lie down. (laughs) Probably best. Bye. See ya. Bye. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Tell Me About It is made for stuff by Bird of Paradise Productions. It was produced by me, Noelle McCarthy, and written by me, Kirsty Johnston, and Michelle Duff. Our script supervisor is Eugene Bingham, and thanks to Janine Fenwick and Eugene for editorial oversight. Mixed by Mark Chesterman. And our theme tune is Queenie Queenie by Tammy Nielsen, our queen. You can like the podcast and leave a review on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me About It is made possible by funding from New Zealand On Air. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball.